Hello and happy Tuesday, everyone, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight here on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight, what an outstanding lineup of guests I have in store for you. First up, I'm going to be joined by Nick O'Hearn. Nick has been playing out on the European and the PGA Tour since 1999. 2006, he won the Order of Merit over on the Australia Asian Tour. Nick, Nick is the only player, folks, to defeat Tiger Woods twice in a World Golf Match Play event. He did it back in 2005 and again in 2007. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about his victory at the 2006 Australian PGA Championship. He's written a, a wonderful book. It's called Tour Mentality, Inside the Mind of a Tour Player, which you can go and find online at Amazon.com. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more when Nick joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a visit from Ted Purdy. You know Ted. Back in college, Ted was one of the most successful players in the history of the University of Arizona's rich golf you know, program. He was there in the early 90s. He helped them to the number one ranking. He finished second in the 1995 NCAA championships. Out on tour, he won the 2005 Byron Nelson Classic. So we got a lot of stories and a lot of things to get into when Ted joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. And then later on in the hour, we're going to round out tonight's show by talking to Randy Peitch. He is the Senior Vice President of Operations for the PGA Tour Superstore. Together with Randy, we'll look back at the PGA Merchandise Show, see what he thought were some of the cool items that we might actually find coming up here on the shelves at the PGA Tour Superstore. We'll also talk about how, how during a time when most brick-and-mortar stores are closing down, they continue to expand and open up more retail locations. We'll also talk about all the great things that they have available inside their stores. I call it a golf wonderland. And you know, beyond the gear, all of the great things that they have that, you know, that we love about golf, right? You can go in there and get in their simulators. You can get your clubs fitted. You can put on their putting greens. You can take lessons. So many great things you can find inside the PGA Tour Superstore. So we'll talk about that with Randy when he joins me about 45 minutes from now. So, folks, more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. And as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about all the great things they have going on up there. When planning your next golf buddy trip, consider something completely different for 2018 at French Lick Resort. The Eagles, Birdies, and Pigeons Package. That's right, Pigeons. Take your best shot with a day at our Pete Dye course, a day at our Donald Ross course. Then top it off with an outing at our new Sporting Clay shooting range. This package is reserved for groups of 12 or more. Just you and a pal craving a world-class golf getaway? Well, our Hall of Fame package can't be beat for a pure golf experience and value. Pete Dye, Donald Ross, and our two historic hotels make a legendary combination. French Lick Resort can also help you bring your game to the next level. Check out our Early Birdies Tune-Up, our Game Changer, and Rapid Recovery Golf Academies. Start making those 2018 plans now with an online visit to FrenchLick.com. French Lick Resort, home of the 2018 Senior LPGA Championship and the Symmetra Tour Donald Ross Classic. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it is and to book your stay as well. And folks, you've heard me talking about Clubhub sensors over the last few months. It's the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out on the market. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub tells you what happened and why. 
Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have club hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, folks, since I put the club hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and to the green, but after your round, you could look back at the images and the layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. No other GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Clubhub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones. The app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And again, no other rangefinder can do all that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com to order your set of club sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT. That's N-E-X-T to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, go online to clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. We're also excited to be uh, partnering with the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. They are back with the same great equipment that you know and love without the retail markup that you hate. Now you can buy premium Ben Hogan irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, and bags directly from the factory at prices your wallet's really going to appreciate. Visit them online at benhogangolf.com or give them a call at 844-53-HOGAN. That's 844-534-6426 to learn more and order your set today. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. Their early spring collection has arrived. The shift in seasons is an opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They've added some great details, some fresh colors, and new additions with genuine enduring character. See the early spring collection by going online to bobbyjones.com. And also, folks, you know we've been partnering with Russ Holden and the great folks over at Caddy for a Cure. One of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fanconi Anemia. You're going to get to walk side-by-side with your tour player, experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, which includes Under Armour logo apparel and an eyewear package, a tour-grade caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a 10-cup ball marking gift, Chef's Cut Real Jerky, and professional photographs from your day. Go online to caddyforacure.com. That's C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E. Caddyforacure.com to learn more. All right, now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Nick O'Hearn. Let me give you some more background on Nick. He is from Perth, Western Australia. Uh, Growing up, Nick played baseball, tennis, and golf. Turned pro in 1994. He qualified for the European Tour on his first attempt, though, by the way, going through Q School in 1998. Played on the European Tour from 1999 to 2007, where he finished runner-up seven times from 2003 to 2007. In 2004, he cracked the top 50 in the World Golf Rankings, finishing 45th. The next year in 05, he shot all the way up to 24th and was a member of the international team at the President's Cup, where he helped earn them two points when he and countryman Peter Leonard defeated Davis Love and Kenny Perry in the Friday matches, and on Saturday paired with Tim Clark defeated Fred Funk and David Toms. 
2006, he reached 21st in the world rankings, and he won the Australian PGA Championship when he holed out from a greenside bunker to birdie the fourth playoff hole to defeat his uh, international teammate, Peter Leonard. That season was also his best finish in a major, tying for sixth at the U.S. Open, and he won the Australia-Asian Order of Merit. Nick is the only player to defeat Tiger Woods in the World Golf Match Play Championships twice. He did that in 2005 and 2007. He's written a book titled Tour Mentality, Inside the Mind of a Tour Player, which you can find online at Amazon.com. And I'm thrilled that he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Nick, thanks for coming on the show. There we go. We had a little trouble with your mic. Hey, Nick, you with us? <laughs> yeah, I'm there. Sorry, must have been on mute. Uh, yeah, no, thanks for having yeah. me. Ah, well, we appreciate your time. So, uh, Nick, let's start by going all the way back to the beginning for you. And I read that your father was a very good golfer. Is he the one that got you started playing the game? He did, yeah. Early on, uh, I just basically did what he, uh, whatever sport he played. And, you know, it was baseball, tennis, and eventually he turned to golf. So at about eight or nine years old is when I started. I ended up playing all those sports, even a little bit of soccer there through to about my mid-teens and uh, I just found the attraction of golf something that was you know, very compelling to me with the team sports such as uh, baseball and soccer, for instance. I could have a good game and, and still lose, whereas uh, golf, I thought, well, it's all up to me. And tennis was a little bit like that as well. So I just love those sports. Yeah, so I was curious, you know, when you look at, you know, the, the baseball, the tennis and then the golf, you know, what was it about? At what point did you realize of, of the three, you know what, hey, I'm I'm pretty good at this golf thing. This may be the way for me to go. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it was probably when I was 15 or 16. I, I just, golf was more fascinating to me than tennis at that point, and I'd probably given up baseball by then. Um, but mine, I guess, was an unusual story. The lowest handicap I ever got down to was a two uh, when I was 16 years old. And when I turned pro, I was actually off a four handicap at the age of 19, um, which is not, you know, world beating these days, that's for sure. So I, I did a uh, an apprenticeship down in Australia to become a club professional, um, work in a shop, prepare clubs, do some teaching. And then it really wasn't until, uh, I guess I finished that when I was 22. And when I, when I was about 23, 24 years old, I was struggling playing pro-am circuits in Australia, trying to play the game, but I was really just working in a shop and wasn't going very far. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we got married pretty young and then we basically give ourselves a, a three-year plan um, to, to see if I could do any good in this game. And, and the first things that I needed to do was find a good uh, a swing coach and then a mental coach and also get my fitness levels up and things like that. And I think since I gave myself a time period of that three years, it really crystallized everything for me. And uh, I set some goals that I wanted to achieve within those three years. And as it turned out, I probably achieved them in the first year and then I was off and running. And Nick, I want to jump ahead a little bit to your time going through Q school for the European tour. And for most people, it takes several attempts to make it through Q school. It, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get through it at all, you got through it on your first attempt, which is a huge accomplishment. How were you able to be su so successful first time around? Well, I had quite a bit of experience playing, you know, in Australia by that point. Uh, the year before, I'd actually head to the U.S. and played a lot of mini tour events. Uh, back then, it was the Nike Tour, and I'd go and try and Monday qualify. And if I made it, great. If I didn't, well, then I'd go play one of the local sectional tour events um, so I gained a huge amount of experience from that and I actually went to the US uh, Q school second stage and, and missed and to be honest it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I wasn't ready to play in the US at that point so instead 
for my Australian ranking, I went to the uh, European Tier School. And and the funny thing was, I think, because it's a six-round event, the fourth round, they have a cutoff, and I needed birdie to... Uh, to make that cut off, otherwise I would have missed. Uh, I would have missed the cue school there. So, and I ended up eagling the hole, holding a bunker shot, uh, which snuck me through. And then from then on, that just kicked me on to to have a great uh, final two rounds and set me on my way in Europe. And absolutely loved it over there. Nick, in 2005, you ended up uh, playing on uh, in the Presidents Cup, which was held up at Robert Trent Jones Golf Club up in Gainesville, Virginia. Jack Nicklaus was the U.S. captain. Gary Player was the captain of the international team. And in those Thursday matches, you and Tim Clark were paired against Phil Mickelson and Chris DeMarco. And, you know, before it all gets started, I'm just curious, what was it like for you standing up on the first tee? Because not only, you know, you got the huge galleries around and all of that, you got some former U.S. presidents right there, not to mention Nicholas and Player there watching you. What's it like getting up on the first tee trying to pull the trigger when you got all of that around you? Yeah, it's quite the experience. Uh, I remember, you know, I've only really ever lost control of my bodily functions about three times while playing golf. And, uh, you know, one of them was through food poisoning. Um, the next time was playing the Open Championship at, at St. Andrews, the home of golf, which kind of speaks for itself. And then the last time was was that particular uh, tee shot, first, first tee shot of the President's Cup. I mean, it's like nothing else you've ever experienced. And, and the funny thing was Tim Clark and I, on the driving range, we were going through the, the course thinking, well, okay, who wants to hit this tee shot? Who wants to hit that because of the alternate format? And we came to the conclusion that I'd take the odds and he'd take the evens. And as I'm walking to the first tee, it kind of dawned on me that, hang on, I've got to, I've got to take that first tee shot, which was, which, uh, you know, which wasn't all that out of the ordinary. I walk onto the tee, there's thousands of people there. As you mentioned, there's a couple of presidents in, uh, Bill Clinton and, uh, George Bush senior. Gary Player, my captain, and then Jack Nicholas, who was a, an idol of mine growing up, and I just sort of stood there thinking, "What the heck am I doing here? This is uh, this is not good." So my legs started shaking, but um, fortunately, you know, that's when you got to rely on all your routines and the processes of uh, of all the practice you've done, and 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 I was able to just sort of get my mind right in the present, picture a shot, and let it go, and, and we were away. And we had a great match against Demarco and Nicholson. Uh, unfortunately, it came down to the last hole, and we lost one down. But I'll just never ever forget that moment. The next year, in 2006, you go back to your, your home country of Australia and, 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 you, and you win a major, right? You, you, and, and it's not just that you, that you won the major, which is outstanding, but it's in the way in which you won the major. You had a three-footer <laughs> to win it on 18 that didn't go down, but you turn around and you hold a bunker shot for birdie to win it on the fourth playoff hole. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the, the mental game, right? You mentioned, you know, being able to collect yourself, you know, at the, at the President's Cup. But here you go. You have the disappointment on 18. You collect yourself, you get back, and you win it in a, in a playoff. How did, you, how did you get your mind right? How did you, you know, kind of get back and, and move on and say, all right, I'm going to put that in the past. Now i got to focus on winning this in, in the playoff. Yeah, it was probably the – that, that day was probably, you know, had, had the worst moment in my career and also the best moment in my career. The, the, the missed three-footer on the 72nd hole to, to win the tournament was just something that you want to go dig a hole and bury yourself in. And it was a hor- horrible experience at the time. And, and admittedly, I got ahead of myself. I was thinking about the victory speech rather than trying to hold the putt. Um, but I had a great caddy on my bag, uh, Wilbur, at that point. And in the, in the scorer's hut afterwards, he just we had a good conversation. He just said, mate, what's done is done. Let's uh, let's regroup and dig in and, and see if we can get it done. And you know, four playoff holes later, we were 
Peter Lonard and I were sort of exchanging looks at birdie, but we couldn't make it. And uh, three pars, and then on the fourth playoff hole, we're in the back bunker. And I don't know, it's one of those moments where I got water behind the flag. It's a little downhill bunker shot, and everything sort of again crystallised for me. I just saw the shot I wanted, hit it, it went in, and my gosh, I tell you, the relief that came over me was something else. And we had one heck of a party that night. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but you did. So you win the Order of Merit that year for the Australia Asia Tour. What's it like reaching the pinnacle of your sport on the tour in your home country? Uh, it's something really cool. I mean, I'd, I'd always dreamt of uh, winning my home home uh, home country or home tour's Order of Merit, and I'd come so close. I'd been second, third, fourth, fifth, uh, numerous times. And as it turned out, that whole bunker shot, I had to win that tournament to win the Order of Merit. So I kind of knew what was at stake. And, and when they presented me with both trophies on that on that 72nd green afterwards, it was something really cool because, um, you know, not many not many people can uh, put their names on that Order of Merit trophies. Obviously, like winning the money list over here in the U.S. or on the European tour. So uh, that'll forever go down in my memory banks. And Nick, like I mentioned in your intro, you beat Tiger Woods twice in the World Golf Match Play events in 2005 and again in 07. I saw an interview that you did talking about the key to beating Tiger Woods. Do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first and foremost, you just got to finish one stroke better than him. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I, I, I guess my, my caddy and I had a plan beforehand. We, you know, I'd, I'd never played it with Tiger at that point. And um, we basically knew that he'd only ever won uh, his majors, all the majors that he's won, I guess 14 of them or so, when he's uh, either led or been tied for the lead going into the final round. So he's never won coming from behind. So our theory was to get ahead of him early and then just stay in front. If I get behind, I'm kind of toast. So, I mean, easier said than done, obviously. And that first uh, that first morning I played with him, there was you know a lot of people there and he hits his tee shot off on the first at La Costa in San Diego and the thing just came out like a cannon and I was just aghast at, at how how impressive that tee shot was. So one thing I did make sure of was never to watch him hit another tee shot all day because I didn't want to become consumed by how good he hit it. I kind of looked away. But um, on that first putting green, I ended up having about an eight-foot putt for par and my caddy's behind me while we're reading the putt and he, he sort of whispers in my ear, mate, this is for the match right here. So <laughs> it was a big statement to make by him, but... It helped me focus and really put everything into that part, and, and I knocked it in dead center. Ended up birding the next two holes to go two up after three, and, uh, and I guess the rest is history that day. I played really well, really well, and ended up winning three and one. And, and then we had the same sort of um, same strategy the second time in 2007 when I came up against him. I actually beat Rory, Ma- uh, sorry, not Rory McIlroy, Rory Sabatini in the round before, and I knew Rory was chomping at the bit to get to him, so I was pretty pleased to get past Rory there and uh, and, and play Tiger again. And, as it turned out, he, he got off to a bad start. You know, he, he wasn't playing very well, and I was just winning holes with pars. And I think I was four up through seven just by playing level par golf, which was great. And then he hit a shot on like the eight or the ninth hole where uh, he had that famous, you know, little club twirl after he hit it. And I thought, oh, no, here he comes. He swings back on. So uh, he ended up making a bunch of birdies, and we were square after 16 holes. And I was just, it was like trying to hold back the tide. And then I birdied 17 to go one up. And then he birdied 18 to send it into extra holes. He had a chance on 19, but missed the putt. And then I got it done on the 20th. So, you know, I beat him twice, which is fantastic. And as it turned out, he never led over those two, uh, two, two matches. So that's something pretty cool that maybe one day I can tell the grandkids about. Yeah, no doubt. 
And I'm sure you, you had an opportunity to play with him. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm guessing you had an opportunity to play with him subsequently in, in, in other tournaments. Did that ever come into play? Did he ever say anything to you about, you know, the fact that uh, you were able to take him down twice? <laughs> no, that never came up. Um, no, I, I only ever played with him in actual stroke play event in China uh, at the HSBC tournament. Uh, we were in the last group, as it turned out, on the Sunday and with David Howe, but uh, he's all, he was always very uh, cordial, you know, would have a chat every now and then. But uh, as far as the match play goes, no, I don't think he ever wanted to talk about that. So, and I was never going to bring it up anyway, just in, just in case we played a third time and he, he might do a Stephen Ames on me and go nine and eight or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Nick, when, when the tour banned the long putter, which you used to use, you not only switch putters, and for those who don't know, Nick is a lefty, you switched to putting right-handed. So you were playing left-handed, but putting right-handed. Why? Yeah, well, it came about, I guess, at a time when I was retiring, more, more or less. I uh, retired a few years ago from playing, but the anchoring ban, I never liked the unanchoring. I, I just couldn't hold the putter there and sort of putt. So I, I tried the shorter version, and it never really suited me either. And as it turned out, I went right-handed by chance um, because I'm actually a right-handed person when it comes to throwing a ball or playing tennis or, or writing, for instance. But everything I do two hands is left, like hitting a baseball and stuff like that or playing golf. Um, I went out for a game here at Arworth, my home club here, and thought, well, I'd love to see what I could shoot right, right-handed. And um, went out for nine holes, played. Played okay, wasn't too bad, but the thing that really stuck out was I putted fantastic, and I really had no, I really had no thoughts about anything while I was putting. So I thought, oh, there might be something in this, and uh, I sort of tinkered with it for a couple of months, and and really enjoyed it. I couldn't quite get the distance control down for the longer putts, so Ping made me up a double-sided putter, much like um, you know the older cushionet putters that you used to see. And with the longer putts, I'd hit left hand, and the shorter putts, anything within 15 feet, I'd hit right hand. And eventually, my speed got a lot better right-handed and uh, now I'm just a fully right-handed putting machine and I wish I'd have done it years ago because uh, I love it. Nick, I want to talk about your book and again, it's titled Tour Mentality Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro. Again, you can find it on Amazon.com and, and I read that it came about just by playing with some of your friends on your home course there at Isleworth. You started teaching them how to think around the golf course versus giving them swing thoughts or playing lessons. Is that really where the idea of the book uh, sort of gen- was that that was the genesis of the book? It was. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it never started out as a book. I uh, was playing with a couple of mates here. Um, here at Olive, I John Hart, who's a good mate of mine. He's the well, former president now of the Atlanta Braves and Steve Spade, another fellow member here. And, and Steve was really struggling with his game. And I, just see all these swing thoughts going through his head and I said let's just simplify things let's just pick our target go to a good routine and hit it and I think when he got rid of all the you know all the swing thoughts going on in his head he just started playing really well and he said you know you should write a book on all this stuff the mental side I said yeah well there were plenty of good mental game books out there already and he said yeah but they're written by sports psychologists they're not written by someone that's actually played the game for a living so the more I thought about it it kind of made sense and in the beginning I sort of started writing just a few notes down and I was going to you know, do five pages or something and give it to all my mates here and say, hey, work on these things. And after five pages, I sort of started adding stories, had 10 pages, 20 pages, and it just kind of went from there. And I gave it to a friend uh, who's in the uh, literary industry and he, he loved it. 
and said, look, if you can double the amount of uh, words you got here, we've, I think we've got a book on our hands. And, and that's kind of how it went. And, um, yeah, so far I've had, had some great reviews on it. And it, it just kind of simplifies things for, for the everyday golfer as well as the pro. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting some great reviews from high handicappers to actual touring professionals. So um, right across the board, I think it's, uh, it's, really, it's really kind of uh, gelled with everyone. And Nick, I, I also read an article from last November where Jordan Zunick from Australia played, you know, played out on the Australian tour, finished second last year at the Australian PGA Championship. And he actually credited your book with helping him with his mental approach. That had to feel great to have somebody, you know, that uh, was out there playing. But, you know, your book helped take him to the next level. <laughs> Yeah, that's always pretty cool. Jordan's a heck of a player. There's so much talent. And uh, I'm still working with him a bit now, just trying to help him along. But uh, his girlfriend, who caddied for him, actually reached out to me a few months before the, uh, as it turned out, the PGA. He said, uh, you know, can we can we get in touch? And I just wanted to, you know, she, she just wanted to thank me for writing the book. Jordan loved it. She loved it. And the week of the PGA, the Tuesday, I said, well, let's go out for a practice round. And uh, so we went out and had a, I walked around with him. And he just, put on an absolute clinic from tee to green, but his, his sort of his self-talk and the way he spoke about his own game was, was pretty awful, to be honest. So I just kind of helped him out with a few things just to ease up on himself a bit and then showed him a couple of shots that might work that week. And then, as it turns out, he's leading the tournament after three rounds. Uh, so he, he had a great week. He ended up being beaten in a playoff by Cameron Smith, who's, who's a heck of a young player. So that's Hopefully, we'll kickstart his career, and um, I've started doing a bit more of that, just sort of mentoring younger players, just trying to get them on track as to as to how to uh, how to get the most out of their game, basically, and maximise their talent because there are so many talented kids out here now, which is which is unbelievable. But I guess what I do find with it sometimes is they're a little one-dimensional; they don't have a lot of variety to their games, and I think I can add that those extra layers that can really help them take it to the next level. Yeah, so expand on that. Talk about what you're doing now, all the things you're doing mentoring young players. Yeah, so with, with the book, uh, you know, I've emailed some uh, college coaches and things like that saying, let's, um, you know, are, you in, are they interested in the book, first of all, for their roster? Because uh, I think the book can really help a lot of college players out there. And then I've also done a couple of one-day workshops where I traveled to the, uh, to the college and, uh, and basically worked with the team for a day. And then from that, uh, I've also been contacted by a few younger players or, or pros and amateurs alike who uh, who just want help with their game. So, you know, I sort of take on a mentoring role and show them uh, a lot of things that I learned over my career, you know, based around how to practice properly. That's a huge part of it, I think. Um, you know, how to develop a mental routine and then a lot of things of uh, course strategy and really how to score out on the golf course because, most of these guys and, and girls, for that matter, they swing it great, but you know, um, but they just don't know how to, I think, post the lowest number out on the golf course. And that's what I was always really good at during my career. My my swing wasn't, you know, the prettiest out there, but I maximised everything I had, and I was able to, you know, sort of get the most out of my game. And I'm just trying to transfer that onto these players now. So, Nick, you know, will we see you out? You talk about being retired or semi-retired. Will we see you out on the Champions Tour in a few years? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I still keep my hand in the tournament golf down in Australia. I go down and play the Australian Open and PGA. Uh, I actually went down to Perth last week to play that World Super 6 because it was in my hometown and there's some things revolved around my book there. I just got back, so jet lag's a bit of an issue at the moment. But 
uh, in a few years, I'll be I'll be 50, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to give that qualifying school a go. I mean, hopefully, I can get through that one on the first attempt as well, because I hear that's a tough one. But uh, by then, my kids uh, will almost be finished school, and I think it would be great to get back out there and play a little. So, Nick, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online or over social media. Yeah, well, I'm on the usual social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, that sort of thing. But uh, I have my own website, just nickohern.com, which uh, has a lot of information there about some of the days I'm doing, some corporate outings for companies, uh, individual mentoring, uh, some blogs, some writing for the Australian Golf Digest magazine. So it's all, it's all basically on there. But I'm around, and if anyone wants to contact me, my email address is on there uh, about you know maybe working with them or, or doing some other stuff. So uh, no problem at all. Love to, love to help golfers, and that's kind of what I've loved doing right now. Well, Nick, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to be a part of the show. It's been fantastic talking to you. I hope you'll come back. So many other questions and insights I'd love to get from you. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime because it's been a lot of fun having you here. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, anytime, let me know. Sounds good. All right, Nick. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Take care, Nick. That is Nick O'Hearn, and again, his site is nickohearn.com, and, and uh, it's uh, O-H-E-R-N, so nickohearn.com, and uh, you know, great stuff. Book, again, is called Tour Mentality, Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro. Again, you can find that on amazon.com. Got my next guest, Ted Purdy, hanging on the line. Going to get to Ted on the other side of this quick uh, station break. Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros, and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris every week as the greats of the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. And now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Ted Purdy. Let me give you some background on Ted. He is from Phoenix, Arizona. Played his college golf at the University of Arizona, where he was a four-time All-Pac-10 selection and a three-time NCAA All-District selection. He was a third-team All-American in 1995. He, along with Jason Gore and Jim Furyk and their other teammates, won the 1992 NCAA championship. He was a University of Arizona Academic Champion Award winner three years in a row from 1992 to 1994. In 95, Ted finished runner-up at the NCAA championship, finishing one stroke back of Auburn's Chip Spratlin. Ted has, you know, one of the top low 18-hole aggregates in University of Arizona school history, a six under par 65 at the NCAA West Regional is where that happened, a low 54-hole aggregate 13 under par at the Ping Arizona Intercollegiate Tournament, which he won in 1996, along with another Ping Intercollegiate Tournament that same season. Ted beat Tiger Woods by six strokes at the 1996 Arizona Ping Invitational. He had a career average of 73.84, edging out Jason Gore and Jim Furyk to get in the top 30 all-time at Arizona. He played in more competitive rounds at more competitive rounds than anybody, I should say, at the University of Arizona in their history. And he was inducted into the Wildcats Hall of Fame in 2005. Turned pro in 1996. In 1997, he won the, the Asian Masters Champion and was uh, named Rookie of the Year on the Asian PGA Tour. He's won once so far on the Web.com Tour at the 2003 First Tee Arkansas Classic and once on the PGA Tour at the 2005 Byron Nelson Classic. And I'm very excited he is with me here tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Ted, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for the invite. 
So, Ted, I always like to start by going back to the very beginning to talk about when you first started to play the game and who was the first person to put a golf club in your hands. The fact that you had all those stats from college is impressive to me. That was as far back as I can remember. Um, yeah. Now, the, uh, um, they have pictures of me in diapers with a golf club in my hand. So, seriously, early as it started for me. Yeah. I was, uh, I was really fortunate. My brother had horrible asthma. And, um, my family was from a little town in Iowa called Keokuk, Iowa. My older brother, he's five years older than I was. He's in the hospital, you know, once a month, twice a month with uh, croup and asthma related breathing problems. And so they decided, my parents decided to move to Phoenix, Arizona, which the dry, arid uh, air environment would, would help him. Um, so they moved to Phoenix in 71, and I was born in 73 in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, just by fate, uh, my parents bought the house next door to Karsten Solheim. So, wow. Um, the rest is history for me. I'm at, at Moon Valley Country Club. So at what point... Along, you know, your, you know, your journey there, like when you're a kid, at what point did you, did you, you know, say to yourself, you know what, I could be pretty good at this thing. Um, I, what year did, uh, Watson chip in, uh, to beat at the, 82? Uh, to beat Nicholas at 82. Yeah. The 82 so I would open. Have, I would have been nine. I would have been nine years old. I, I distinctly remember standing around the TV with my family and, group of people and we're watching TV and Tom Watson chips in and everybody goes excited. And I said, that's what I'm doing for 11. And, uh, that, that was the moment. The moment I knew I was good enough was beat everybody in Arizona. My whole junior career as a junior golfer. Um, it, I didn't get beat until I started playing tiger in national events. So, and then I, I could hardly ever, I never beat him. He, he beat me every other, every time. So, um, but anyway, that's how I just knew I was going to be a professional golfer. So, like I said, you, you, you went to the university of Arizona. Was that always going to be the choice or did you know, like, I, I got to imagine Arizona state and some of the other pac 10 schools at the time, right. Were, were knocking on your door. How did, how did the university of Arizona win out? Yeah, no, so I was recruited by Oklahoma State. I had a home visit by uh, Mike Holder at the time, and Oklahoma State was obviously one or two in the country every year, and um, Arizona State was up in the top five every year, and Arizona was in the top five every year. Uh, I went on a recruit trip to Wake Forest, loved Wake Forest. In fact, I thought I was that's where I was going to end up, um, and I went on a recruit trip to Tulsa of all places just because the coach I like the coach Bill Brogdon and um, I thought I was going to end up at Wake and when it came down to scholarship uh, University of Arizona was giving me a full ride in time we're the number one team in the country and I was going to play immediately the next year and um, Wake Forest offered me like 10, like a quarter a quarter of a ride 25% scholarship. 
So um, I ended up at Arizona because of dollars and cents. And while you're there, like I said, Jason Gore was one of your teammates. Jim Furyk was one of your teammates. And at different times, you're competing against Phil Mickelson when he's at Arizona State, and you're competing against Tiger Woods when he's at Stanford. Talk about playing mm-hmm. with you know the teammates you got the opportunity to play with and the one, then what it was like playing against those two guys, Mickelson and Woods, while you were in college. Well, um, and Jason Gore and I were roommates in college. Um, so... Jason, Jason and I are best, you know, best friends to, to this day. But um, the thing about golf is you you compete these uh, the way I imagine it is the same today as it was back then. But you compete on a national level through the American Junior Golf Association. So I was competing against the same players in junior golf that you play when you get to college golf, bar none. I mean. Phil was four years older, so Phil was never in my age group, but Tiger and I are the same age, and Jason, and but Tiger just, he was so far, so much better than everybody, it was unbelievable. It wasn't close, it wasn't even close. Uh, even Nota Begay told me, he goes, Ted, I've never beaten Tiger head-to-head, and he's won four times on tour. So Nota Begay, the four tournaments he won, Tiger wasn't in the field. Tiger just was far superior to us the whole from from two years old to uh, he's probably going to get it back where he's, we can't beat him again. <laughs> so, um, well, you actually stared him down at the '95 NCAA Championships and again at the '96 Ping Invitational. You, you finished ahead of him there. Yeah, and I beat him in match play at the Western one year. So. Um, yeah, I was one of the only guys that was able to clip Tiger, but um, he beat me every other time. So it's like, you know, I got three three to a thousand, uh, but <laughs> it's all good. I'll take the three. <laughs> so... Again, when you're at when you're at Arizona, you guys finished, you know, at or around the top in the college golf rankings. Seem like every year you, you guys won a national championship in '92. You were ranked number one or in the top five frequently. Talk about what it was like being a part of those teams and really being the team that everyone wanted to knock off every week. Yeah, um, the year we were number one the whole year, and I think we won. I think we won. 11 of 12 events or 12 or 13, every event except for nationals that year. They called us the Redliners because everybody on our team, I played five man and everybody on our team would break par. And I remember there's one event in particular, ASU, which is our rival. Uh, We want to go up there and show them who's boss. Uh, At Arizona Karsten, ASU is a tournament, ASU course. We didn't have a round even or under we didn't have round even or over every round that the five of us shot was under par so it was pretty pretty impressive golf from a team standpoint we uh, we were pretty dominant and we we would have won nationals that year i'm pretty sure but we got kind of unlucky with uh, the weather at, at the honors course i think it was and um a storm came in and the one, two, three teams in the country missed the cut just because of the weather, the the draw. That's just how golf is. But but yeah, I mean, being being a, being on a number one team on in any sport is 
it's pretty fun. And Ted, you turned pro in 96, and you go over to compete over on the Asian Tour and got your first professional win at the Asian Masters. Talk about your decision to go play over there and then uh, what it was like getting your first victory. Yeah, so I was good friends with Charlie Wee and um, a couple of other guys. Growing up at around Ping in Phoenix, I'm, I was very close to the, obviously, the, the people at Ping and people that understand golf and understand professional golf. And when I turned professional, uh, Mr. Solheim, and this is kind of what I want to tell most, like when you're a top collegiate golfer, club manufacturers and the sponsors, they tend to give you um, a little startup money uh, just for being a loyal, like I was a loyal Ping guy. So the Solheim family or the Ping company gave me kind of my seed money to go turn pro. And Titleist did the same thing because I, I was a Titleist guy. So Titleist had a a program for guys, you know, for their first year. So I had this little seed money and I went to the US PGA Tour school and I made it to the first stage and I missed at the second stage. And I was down in the dumps and Mr. Solheim, the owner of Ping, called me in his office and he said, Ted, what you're going to do is you're going to go to the Asian tour and you're going to start over there. So I, I booked the flight, went to their tour school, got an Asian tour card and ended up on the Asian tour. And, but I was on that tour with, you know, looking back with amazing players. I was up with Charlie Wee, John Sendon, KJ Choi, Hamilton, who won the British Open. I'm, I'm forgetting a ton of guys, I'm sure, but it's just great competition. And um, winning on that tour was a huge confidence booster. And um, it also helped me generate uh, cash flow so I could keep playing golf. And um, that's kind of the hard part now is the, the tours around the world. There's a lot more tours around the world, but the money is not as, as good as it used to be. So the younger kids are struggling to turn pro, which is a which is a shame. But that, that's how I ended up in Asia. And unfortunately, I was able to get my PGA Tour card. So I was rookie of the year in 1997 in Asia. And then I, and then I didn't get my tour card in 97 Q school. But I ended up getting my PGA Tour card through three stages of Q school in the 98 season, which got me on tour for a 99 season. So um, anyway, it was just a great place to be while I was trying to get on the PGA Tour. And then, Ted, in, in 2003, you're back over here in the States. You went on the Web.com Tour at the First Tee Arkansas Classic by making, first of all, a clutch mm-hmm. birdie putt on 18 just to get into the playoff with Chris Tidlin. And then you get the win by winning on the third playoff hole. You stick your approach mm-hmm. shot to three feet from the cup. You make that putt as darkness is about to fall. And goodness knows mm-hmm. could have pushed the tournament to the next day. But talk about what it was like, you know, first of all, when that putt goes in on 18 and then winning it in the playoff. Yeah. I mean, that's the difference between like Chris Tidlin is a great friend of mine and he's the same thing. We grew up playing against each other and it could have gone either way right chris could have won and i would have won i ended up winning that event getting my pga tour card through the web.com at that time was top 15 got their pga tour card and chris chidlin narrowly missed and you know and the difference is that money from first to second and uh and chris you know he's been on tour but he's never stayed out there very long and his career hasn't been that you know he hasn't had the success i have obviously but and i look back at that i'm like man, it, that was the difference. Like had that putt had not gone in, who knows where I would be today. And it's just crazy the how fine a line it is, really is. And I'm just blessed that golf gods were looking out for me that day. Um, but it is, it's just a fine line. You, you get that 
putt to go and uh, the dominoes start falling your way and next thing you know you're winning the Byron Nelson and having uh, a cup of tea with, with Lord Byron. Yeah, it's so a, talk about that, right? Oh five, you win the Byron Nelson Classic. You uh, edged out Sean O'Hare by a stroke thanks to a final round 65. Talk about what it was like winning that golf tournament. Byron was 95 at the time, so everybody knew that that might be the last year that he's going to be there. So, And when Byron, he, he would call each competitor and encourage him to come play his event. When you got that call, you had if you said, yeah, I'm coming, that meant you were coming. That year, every everybody was in the field. Uh, Tiger, Phil, Ernie, Goosen, Els, VJ. VJ, I think, finished third. Um, so, I mean, I, it basically was a was a major other than the european tour players that were in europe uh, it was a major st- uh, field to come out on top is there's nothing better it means you're the best at least that week so it was uh it was a very very special week for sure ted before we let you go let our listeners know what are you doing now actually uh jason gore has a little insurance company in California. So I, I sell insurance, so life insurance and uh, property casualty insurance to uh, pay the bills until uh, I can get back to work. The year before, I played nine times on tour, so I'm still hoping to crack the net on the PGA Tour, get my get my scores back down where they can compete. And um, so I'm selling a little insurance and uh, I'm trying to play golf. So, Ted, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with uh, with all the things you're doing, find you on social media and online as well? Yeah, I, uh, the, my social media, I guess, is the easiest way. Ted Purdy at Twitter. Um, I'm uh, not doing much exciting at this at this point. Hopefully, we've got something to show for it. It looks like the new tournament in Dominican Republic in a couple of weeks. Um, I'll be in, and hopefully I can uh, um, rally my game and uh, get in the hunt. Well, there you go. We'll be rooting hard for you, Ted. Good luck there and uh, with all the other things you're doing. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. It was great spending some time with you tonight. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Take care, Ted. All the best to you and your family. You too, Chris. That is Ted Purdy. And again, it's P-U-R-D-Y. Check him out uh, at Ted Purdy on Twitter. You know, a lot of great tournaments that uh, he was Hall of Famer at the University of Arizona. You know, the, he had a great career there. Played more competitive rounds than anyone in the history of their golf, uh, the golf team. And their golf team, like you heard Ted talk about, is one of the perennial best year in and year out. He's right at the top of that list, and they did some great things while he was there. And, and hopefully, uh, he, like you said, he gets his game uh, in tune and uh, gets back on track. And we hear a lot more great things from Ted this year and in the years in the future. Look forward to having him back on the show again, like I say, hopefully real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Randy Pites, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our, our sponsors. And first of all, folks, you've heard me talk about Club Hub sensors over the last few months. It is the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Club Hub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have Club Hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the top of your grips. And I can tell you, since I put the Club Hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all of the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and to the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and the, and the layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit it on every hole. 
No other GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Clubhub app does. It's available for Android or iPhones, and the app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And no other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com and order your set of Clubhub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Power Bar. Energy and focus on the course is essential, whether you're playing you know, out on tour in your club championship or just your weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar, the golfer's nutritional bar, can help you with both. That's energy and focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest every three holes until it's finished, and you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Par Bar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Go online to parbargolf.com and order yours today. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. And now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Randy Pice. Let me give you some background on Randy. He is the Senior Vice President of Operations at the PGA Tour Superstore. Randy has his MBA in Public Relations and Communications from Auburn. Over the course of his career, he has spent time as a senior merchant for Golfsmith, a vice president for the Sports Authority. He joined the PGA Tour Superstore as a VP of Merchandising back in November of 2011, started his current role as Senior VP of Operations in January of 2016, and I'm honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Randy, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Love your show. I appreciate that. So, Randy, I want to start our time tonight by, you know, getting your reflections back on this year's PGA Merchandise Show. Talk about some of the new products that you saw while you were there. Maybe what some of the cool things we might be able to start finding very soon at our local PGA Tour Superstore. Yeah, no, it was a great time. And I actually had the uh, the privilege. We had a, a couple hundred of our best associates, even two weeks before the PGA Show, go down to a place called the Streamsong Resort. Um, a little uh, southeast of Tampa, um, and we set up kind of our own miniature uh, PGA merchandise show, if you will, and all uh, a lot of our biggest vendors came down there and showcased the new products, and um, and that excitement carried over to the PGA show. I've, I've been to uh, the, every PGA show now since 2002, and this one was one of the most exciting that I've ever been to. There's so many cool new products out there, whether you're talking about Callaway and the new Rogue driver fairway and hybrid with the jailbreak technology, whether it's Ping G400 Max, the twist face technology, which you've heard so much about from TaylorMade, the M3 and the M4 uh, drivers in Metalwoods that, that have already logged a whole lot of wins on tour this year, um, and even some new wedges from Titleist, and, uh, and, and not to leave out the, uh, the apparel and footwear stuff. It was incredible. Lots of excitement, and uh, it really bodes well, even though we're coming off a record year in our company, we could not be more excited about 2018. Yeah, and speaking of that record year, Randy, you guys posted, you know, great, you know, overall sales growth, 23%. 
15% in same source same store sales versus 2016. And at a time when most brick and mortar stores are closing down, you guys keep growing and open up more. Talk about why. Yeah, you've done your homework, and we we definitely have uh, ha- have experienced exceptional growth this year. And uh, you, you hear a lot a lot of negative press sometimes, uh, especially in in years past about golf in general, but even today about brick and mortar retail and the uh, the impact that Amazon and others are having on that. And uh, we certainly have been uh, bucking that trend uh, in a lot of ways and for a lot of reasons. We we feel like the individual touch points that we have with customers and especially the the game of golf and how important it is. We talk about custom fitting so much and you, you hear that and you read about it in magazines and, and really every golf retailer talks about it, but it's kind of hard to do right. And uh, we feel like we put a lot of investment into training. As I said, we had a couple hundred people down in Florida to train them on all the new products. Uh, that's just the start of it for us. We have ongoing training programs throughout the year that make sure that our professional fitters are experienced and they, they're, it's not their first time when you're coming in there to get a fitting. Have you ever had a fitting, Chris? I have, actually, at the, at the PGA Tour Superstore up in Kennesaw. Oh, awesome! That well, we're we're glad that you did that. So, you, so you know how invaluable that is. To it just it's so important to go in there because it's kind of every person is just a little bit different. And you know, I certainly wouldn't want to go to the eye doctor and get fit for someone else's glasses, right? We they need to be dialed into whatever my vision is. And it's it's really one of the examples we use on how important that is. And you know, if I told you that you could go into a tire store and by picking the right tire. We could get you three, four, five miles an hour per gallon more on your car. You'd probably want to do that. And so that's just the sort of thing that we can do for for people is if you've never been fit or it's been a long time since you've been fit, you really owe it to yourself to go into one of our stores um, and and have that because it it can improve your game tremendously. And uh, it's just it makes such a difference. and And I actually do it on a regular basis now. I just went two days ago and and uh, stepped into a simulator just to hit the new G400 Max, and it was it was incredible how much different it was from even the ping that was a generation older than that, and how much more ball speed and distance gains we can get. And I could say the same thing for for Callaway Rogue and and uh, and the Twist Face from TaylorMade, the M3 and the M4. How much better those are than M1 and M2, even from just a year ago. And Randy, I want to take that idea of being fit just one more step forward because so many players, so many, so many, you know, of us, we weekend hackers, right? We say, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough to go get fit. And really, the opposite is true, right? We're we're all not good enough not to get fit. That's how important it is, right? Talk about, you know, not not only what you've talked about already, but the idea that you know, getting fit isn't just for the world's best players; it's for all of us. Yeah, you're right, Chris, and it's it's pretty easy to envision a tour pro going into uh, one of the trailers that are right on site at their various tournaments and knowing that they need to get dialed into their game, and they're they're so precise with everything, but we have 31 stores in 14 states. We did over 100,000 fittings last year, and that is every level of golfer, and I always say that in some ways, it's even more important for beginner golfers to do that because a lot of times they don't think they're good enough or they're maybe embarrassed about walking into a simulator and having someone see their swing. And and what we're not really about high pressure. We're doing this so that you have to buy a product. We really, when someone walks in the door, and this is how we're different from maybe other retailers, is 
we just want to help your game. And if helping your game means we need to give you a couple of swing tips and send you on your way without making a purchase, that's what we do. If helping your game means we can twist, uh, we, can, we can turn a screw and put a weight from the front of your driver to the back or from side to side and get you a few extra yards and you walk out with the same driver you had, that's okay too. And if it means that we need to put you in a new driver or put a different shaft in the driver that you have, there's so many different ways that we can help someone's game. Uh, it might be on the putting green. It might be with wedges. A lot of people don't understand how important it is to get fit for wedges and even what a word like bounce means um, for playing in different turf conditions. So there's so much science to our game now. And what's incredible about it is there's always been science. There hasn't always been this superb technology. And we invested millions of dollars last year, and we're continuing to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars um, every single year in upgrading technology and investing in the latest and greatest so that it makes it easier for a customer when they walk in, just as having the new iPhone is probably a better experience, make it easier for you than when the iPhone first came out and didn't do all the things that it does today. So that technology changes pretty dramatically, just like uh, cell phone technology, and we're able to leverage that to make the best possible experience for customers. And if if you are a beginner and you're like, oh, I don't know about spin rate and launch angle and, and all that stuff, that's why we spend so much money on training because it, we, we have guys that, that fit players that are on mini tours and on PGA tours and on Champions Tour. We have those guys coming into our store to get tweaked and, and clubs regripped and to, to hit balls in the simulator and hit different products. Like I said, but we have 18, 24 handicappers or people that are not interested in getting a handicap but just want to hit it a few yards further. And that's where the expertise really comes in. Hey, take four or five swings. It's amazing what the turn of a screw or a different shaft can do to your game and a driver today. And, and the iron and the wedge fittings are just as important. So it makes you have more fun whether you're going to shoot, whether you're going to break 70 or break 110. It, it really doesn't matter what, what score you shoot as long as you're having more fun than you had the last time. And, and that's really what we're all about is game enjoyment. And we use the word experience so much that part of golf is just creating that experience. And and I think, you know, it, it makes our, our game fun. It makes our sport fun, your radio show. And, you know, we say all the time it, it would be different if we were selling toothpaste at the local pharmacy you know, that wouldn't be as fun to us as helping people play better golf. And Randy, I've been saying for years, like walking into a PGA Tour Superstore, sort of like walking into a golf wonderland, right? I mean, it's not just about, as you've been you know, talking about here, it's not about just buying the gear that we all need to go play the game, right? You mentioned 100,000 club fittings. You, you regripped 750,000 clubs. You did 50,000 lessons available through your teaching professionals there, right? Talk about, you know, all of those sort of other things that aren't gear, you know, uh, aren't just about the gear, aren't about the clubs, the balls, and the, and the apparel that we can buy, but all about all the other services you guys have available in there. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing how, how one-stop shop we really are for, for everything. And I think the word that we like to hear our customers say when they walk in is, wow, number one, because we're a pretty big store compared to some other ones, and we have a, a bigger assortment than just about anyone out there, and, and actually not just about, 
anyone out there. I'd be hard pressed to find anyone that has a bigger assortment than we do. But you made the the point that we do so much more than just that. Yeah, we we regripped more than more than seven hundred and fifty thousand clubs last year. We sold over a million grips. Some people like to do it themselves, and we help with that as well, selling solvent and other things to help you do that. Um, we've we've given like as you said nearly 50,000 lessons last year, which is just incredible that that many people are, are in to help. We have free clinics for people who are beginners. You mentioned beginners. You mentioned juniors. We have ladies clinics. We have junior clinics. Um, every third, every uh, Once a month on a Saturday where kids can come in, and it, it's kind of after the Home Depot model where they used to build birdhouses for kids. I don't even know if they still do that, but uh, we come in and we make the game fun for kids. It's not about grinding away, hitting a bunch of balls so much as it is to say, Here's how you can have fun playing the game. Some of it, when you're when they're just beginning, is just taking a, a bunch of different sharpies and marking up a golf ball and and going home with some artwork and rolling a few putts and and kind of teaching them a little bit about what it is to play golf. But we love wow experiences in our store, and I think for those of us that are that are really avid golfers, if if you've never been, and I I, I believe you've been to Augusta National, but the first time you walk in to that place. You say, wow, wow, this place is just so incredible. There's nothing else like it in the world. And we think we're kind of the equivalent of that in our store where we say, wow, it's such a cool store and all this merchandise and all these things that are going on. But we could just as easily have someone disappointed in the experience um, if we didn't treat them right and keep them coming back time after time. And I think the experience of actually being in our store and walking up to someone who works there and, and getting just that great experience. And when's the last time you walked out of a retail store and you were delighted, right? And that's really what we're, we're after is to, to have somebody say, I just, I can't believe it. I, I went in not knowing what to expect and I walked out and the guy just gave me a swing tip and I'm hitting 10 extra yards or they tweaked my driver or, or you know what, I, I, I've made a little bit of change to, to the way that I hold my hands and set my hands and now I'm not shanking or these wedges anymore and I'm not chunking it around the green. And um, it's just all those different experiences happen in our store all the time. And that's why it's such a fun place with so much energy, whether you're getting a lesson, whether you're getting fit for clubs, whether you're trying on new apparel or just any of the demo product, products that we have. Um, it's just an incredible place. And uh, we really, we, sometimes we refer to ourselves as the Disney world of golf. And we really want to be that because Disney World is such a magical place where you just have these experiences. And that's what we want to try to create for people is to say, if we can send them out and they go out to the golf course and they have more fun, that that's really all that we want to have happen. And whether that means they bought a whole new bag of clubs from us or just a bag of tees or that they just came in to chat it up with someone and, and got a swing tip and walked away with nothing, that's really what's important to us. And it's um, it's really fun to see people come back in and, and, and really we, we say all the time. And again, this, these are kind of cliche things where you say, we're not in the transaction business, we're in the relationship business. So whether you walk up to the register and slide your credit card or whether you just come in to say hello or ask about the latest and greatest and you walk out with nothing, that's really not as important to us as the fact that you come in and you have a great experience and you leave motivated to play better golf and more excited about getting out on the course. And Randy, as we talk about the growth of your stores, what's the plan for 2018? How many more uh, PGA Tour Superstores are you guys looking to open this year? 
Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that. Uh, we've, we've got a goal, a, a little internal goal here, by, that by 2020, we're going to have 50 stores. So to go from 31 to 50, we're going to have to have between five and seven stores a year. And, and really, over the next 36 months, it's 18 stores. We're, we're opening a store in our second store in Orlando uh, in a couple of weeks here, next uh, the, a week from Saturday. And then uh, a little bit later on, the first weekend of May, we're going to open a second store in Houston, Texas. And we've got at least three more planned for the back half of the year and um, still working on where those are going to be. But uh, we, we definitely have an aggressive growth plan. Um, our owner, as you know very well, is, is uh, Arthur Blank, who uh, has some, a little bit of retail experience under his belt, having co-founded the Home Depot and now into lots of different business ventures here in Atlanta, including the, the Falcons and the Atlanta United, and tremendously successful. And it's, it's almost like uh, if working for Sam Walton running a running a big box uh, chain like that, it's it's really incredible to get his wisdom, his insight. But as you know, he has an insatiable appetite for growth. And I think at one time uh, at Home Depot, they were opening a store uh, every 43 hours. So we're not going to be doing uh, it at that rate, but, but we're certainly growing more aggressively than anyone in our space in golf. And uh, we want to continue to do that because we feel like there are markets around the United States that still are lacking the experience that we're able to provide customers, and uh, and we're going to continue to go after those uh, aggressively. And it's uh, it's really fun to be be part of it. And uh, one of the one of my favorite things to do as as part of my role here is to to go to those grand openings and to see people. I was just in Las Vegas in December when we opened that store um, out in Summerlin, and the people that walk in and just say, wow, wow, it's just it's just an amazing thing to see them do that. But it was even more fun for me to see them leave the store and say, I had no idea I had I could have this kind of an experience at a store. So that's that's really even better for me than the initial wow uh, when they walk in and see all the all the merchandise. So, Randy, I'm, I'm guessing you get to play a fair amount of golf, at least at some point in the year. I'm sure with someone from the different manufacturing companies. So I, I imagine it's got to be tough for you in, in the way that you, you got to have a set for almost every company, right? Because I can't imagine you're showing up playing with guys, you know, from TaylorMade with Callaway clubs. So it's got to be hard dialing in your distances and getting comfortable with a set of clubs because I'm guessing you're switching them out on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, you know, it, even before I was um, in the golf industry, I was kind of a little bit of a tinkerer and, and one that w that always um, was looking for the next great thing. And it's it's so much fun, as you said, in a, in a role like mine that that I do get to have the choice to, to do a lot of things. And it's really, as I said, it's amazing that every single year, because I, I keep thinking that there's going to be a year where it's like, okay, you know what, this driver is okay, or this iron set is okay but last year's was way better than this and it just keeps getting better and that that's the fun thing for me is that you know i i do get to go out and see that and say okay you know what let me put the twist face in the simulator versus the versus the rogue versus the g400 max and it's it's just a it's really a a fun process to go through and for for uh diehard golfers it's really fun but even for beginners, it, it's fun to say, hey, you know what? I, I haven't bought a driver since 2012. Is there anything that can really help me? I have friends ask all the time, is it, is it all just marketing or does it really help my game? And then I say, you know what? Go into the store, 
If it doesn't help your game, you take your gamer in there, take the one you're playing with. If, they, if it can't help, they shouldn't try to sell you another one because the data doesn't lie. And I think that's, that's what's really fun. And then to, to actually be able to take that club onto the course and say, hey, I, I usually don't carry this bunker, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it and see. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty special to see when that can happen. And, uh, you know, we didn't talk at, at all about golf balls, but those are doing the same thing. And, you know, the golf balls that we used even seven, eight years ago are not anywhere near what, what we're using today. And you, you hear about that a lot on, on tour and should it be rolled back and Dustin Johnson can, you know, carry a 340 or whatever he's doing these days. But, um, but for you and I, um, it's really helpful to be able to say, hey, you know what, I can pull out that new Chrome Soft golf ball with this new technology in it and, and hit it further than the Chrome Soft that came out just a couple of years ago, which was so good. Um, and it spins more and it's softer and, and all, those, all those different attributes to it. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the TP5 ball was about the hottest ball that we had last year with, with huge growth. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun to, to try out all that stuff. And, and that's, that's what's really... What's really cool, even if you, you come into our store, one of the things that people don't know about us on the golf ball front is that we actually do ball fittings as well. So we can fit you based on your swing type for any golf ball in there. And if it's wrong and you, you use a couple of sleeves and you don't like it and it's not doing what it did in the simulator, you come back and bring it in and we'll swap it out for one that does work. It's a really uh, cool thing for us to be able to offer that to customers. And as I said, that's part of being in the relationship business and not the transaction business. Because if we were, we, we'd say, hey, you bought them. They're, they're yours now. And that's uh, not our style on anything that we sell you. Randy, just a couple more before we let you go. And, and I saw your post on Twitter that your kids were rooting for Ricky Fowler at the Waste Management huh. Open. That's good news, say, for, for the, the folks at Puma and the, and the guys over at Cobra. Are they just generally Ricky Fowler fans, or is there some special connection with him? Yeah, no. They, you know what? They've, uh, they've never met him before, but they, they've really, you know, it's, it's funny how guys like Ricky Fowler, just a, an instant connection. And my kids are, are under 10, and they've always loved Ricky. And I don't know if it's the flashy clothes or when we have a tournament on, they're always, they're always looking for Ricky Fowler. And, you know, it's pretty cool, and they, they like to wear their, their Puma shirts and the hats and all of that on, on weekends. And it's just Puma and, and Cobra, it's such a cool brand, and that's one of the brands we haven't talked about. And um, Cobra's driver technology is really, really out there, too. They're, they're milling faces now, and they're, they're doing stuff that, that has never been done before. But going back to it, it's, it's, a, it's a really new time, I think, in our generation where my kids don't remember – Tiger Woods being at his prime because they were too young and they're really into Ricky Fowler and they really like Jordan Spieth a lot. Um, and they, they like these kind of this young generation and it's, it's exciting and exhilarating to see not only Tiger back this week as he's going to play in the Genesis open, as you know, um, to have him come back is, is incredible for everyone. But for our kids now to say, okay, and these young generation that have never, never really realized how great Tiger was. And I, I, I truly want him to get back to greatness and say, hey, we could just see a little bit of that Tiger from 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, where he was just as dominant as he could be. But, um, but it's fun to see these young guns, too. And, you know, we mentioned DJ, and he's not even one of the young guns anymore. It's Justin Thomas and, and, and Ricky Fowler and Rory McIlroy and, 
and uh, Jordan Spieth and and all these guys in in our game, and it's just it's it's really fun to see them mixing with people you know like Sergio, like Phil, like Tiger that are maybe a little bit older but still um, have lots of game. Um, as you saw, Phil finish. I think he finished second in two straight tournaments now. So um, so it's really it's really an exciting time for golf. And um, you mentioned the kids though. Are the junior golf has just been on fire, and that's one of the things that is really exciting for us too is that participation has jumped by 20% since 2011 uh, when I first joined PGA Tour Superstore. And that's really the largest jump in, in any major youth sport, which includes basketball, soccer, football, baseball. Like it's, it's amazing how many juniors now are into golf. And I don't know if that all started um, with Tiger. And I know he had a big part of that in the early 2000s, but these new guys are really creating interest and uh, they're looking fashionable they're swinging it hard and swinging for the fences and, you know, hitting wedges into, into par fives in some cases. But um, it's really fun to see all this um, on, on the tour these days and to, to have my kids be excited about playing golf and going out and trying to look not only look like Ricky Fowler, but uh, play like some of these guys as well. Randy, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you and the PGA Tour Superstore are doing, whether it's online or it's over, you know, different legs of social media? Yeah, no, thanks for that. We we obviously have a, our website, which kind of keeps you up to date on a lot of the new products that I talked about, but we are very active on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. Our, our followers are growing every day. Instagram is a great place to to see all that. Um, you, you can follow a lot of our, our folks on there as well. We're, we're all pretty active on social media, but, but those are kind of the, the, uh, the main places to look. And, and it's really, it's kind of fun to, to see what's hot and what's new. And, you know, if you're, if you're into Twitter and social media, it's a great place to, to get blurbs about that. And we've, we've done a lot of work, um, getting, uh, pros, PGA pros, a lot of the guys that I've talked about talking about their products on our on our Twitter and, and Facebook site. So uh, keep looking for that. We've had um, had really, really cool interaction with them. We had several of the tour players out at the uh, the Streamsong event that I mentioned in, in January. Sergio Garcia was there uh, talking about Adidas and, uh, and his new Callaway um, products as well. But um, uh, lots of other guys out there as well. We had we had um, some really fun interaction with with some of the tour guys and our associates really love that interaction and uh you could see all of that manifested on, on social media so it was uh it was it was one interesting side note on that was that patrick reed actually announced his uh deal with nike at our event at streamsong live on the golf channel while he was there addressing our associates over a breakfast one morning so that was a pretty cool thing seeing him uh announce his endorsement deal with Nike um, at our event. But um, but really, really cool. And um, just keep following all those social media. It's uh, it's it's just fun to to watch that. And, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting year. We have um, we have Rogue Driver that just launched on Friday um, at New Irons. And we have uh, all the new TaylorMade stuff that we talked about. That's uh, that's launching this weekend. So it'll be very, very interesting to see where where all the chips fall. But um, you can rest assured that rather than being confused about uh, where your game is, you come in and get dialed in with us and we'll, we'll make sure you leave with the, the product that's right uh, for your swing. So it's, uh, it's always fun to, uh, to talk golf, Chris, and I, I really appreciate you, uh, 
having me on your show and and uh thanks again for being a customer at our Kennesaw store and uh hopefully your listeners will learn a little bit today and um and uh, come and see us as well there you go Randy, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to be a part of the show. It was great having you here. I love the the enthusiasm and the energy that you brought to this segment. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime real soon. I'll do it anytime, Chris, and uh, I always enjoy talking golf any time of day or night. So, uh, again, love your show and uh, best of luck to you, and uh, maybe I'll run into you in our store someday. I hope so. I'll look forward to that. Randy, take All right, care. Great. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Okay, you too. Thanks. Take care. Bye. That is Randy Pice, and he is the uh, Senior Vice President of Operations for the PGA Tour Superstore. Again, it's a golf wonderland in there, folks. I can't, t- I can't tell you often enough how much I enjoy every time I walk through those doors in Kennesaw to, to see not only the great new gear, but it's all the other stuff. Right. It's it's getting in like like Randy said, it's getting into the simulators and hitting them and and trying out this driver and that driver and and see how that works for you. And, you know, try this iron versus the, you know, these other irons. And then, you know, it's tinkering around like he talked about. Right. It's it's, you know, moving weights around and see what that does for you and trying this shaft versus that shaft and this kick point versus that kick point. And what does it do for you? I mean, a lot of the stuff, you know, hey. I, you know, kick points. You know what does that mean? It's it's you know some of that is the you know the education that you get just by being in there. And and, l- and let me tell you, when he talks about you know doing more than seven hundred fifty thousand grips, and and you heard us talking you know with Charlie Fisher a few weeks ago from Golf Pride, right? You know the, that's a that's a, a, a well undersold thing that we all need to take a look at is being sized for our grips, right? Making sure we have the right grip size, you know, for our hands and that sort of thing. And then you know Randy talked about even the ball fitting so there's so much thing there's so many things you can learn when you're in there and playing around and talking to you know their experts about what you know what is best for your game that you know again we talked about it here and we you know we've talked about it with scott felix one of the top fitters in the game right where we some of us think well you know i'm not good enough to be fit that what's really the wrong way to think about it because we're we're you know not good enough not to be fit Right, so going in there and all of the different fittings that you can get done to dial in your game, and you're probably going to walk out of there, you know, taking four, five, six strokes off your game. So again, go online. You know, they've got a you know great online site at pgatoursuperstore.com. Their their uh, their brick and mortar stores are absolutely spectacular. I can't say enough great things. I just love being in and uh, being a part of what uh, what they have there. Like I say, in, in the my local stores here in Kennesaw, Georgia. All right, folks, it is time for us to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. But, you know, we always like to close up shop by hearing from a word from our good friend Jim Estes about the great things that they're doing at the Salute Military Golf Association. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. 
If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, they continue to do great things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. Jim and his team are absolutely outstanding. To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go online to smga.org. All right, like I say, it's time for us to put a bow on this episode. My sincere thanks again to Nick O'Hearn, Ted Purdy, and Randy Peisch for joining me tonight. And uh, I hope you all enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro on Facebook. You know, Share your thoughts and feedback there. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our future guests or someone who's already been on the show, please let me know. We'll be glad to get either that question answered on the air or get it to you know the person, the guest that uh, you would like and get that answer back to you. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, and our announcer, Joe LaGenusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. And that show, like this one, also available as a free podcast on iHeartRadio and over on Podbean as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week year-round. We're, we're joined by five NFL legends who come on sharing their stories from their playing days, their insights into what's going on, on around the league today. Plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their community in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com, this show online at NextOnTheT.net. Folks, thanks for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We know you have hundreds of shows and podcasts that you have the opportunity to take a listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday To hear more stories about the game we love From people who love sharing those stories with you It's all about the great game of golf It's all about the great game of golf